Hello, I'm TJ, and welcome to my garden. Uh, as I said in the previous episode, I am actually recording in my garden, so there may be a little bit of noise from the wind moving around and the birds. Uh, I do have a little sock on my uh, microphone, so hopefully that'll help out. Uh, so last time we talked about watering, uh, went over concepts like evapotranspiration, stuff like that. Uh, today I wanted to get in more to some of the soil science stuff I talked about last time. Um, kind of why we fertilize plants uh, when wild plants clearly don't need that. Uh, why we need to water. Uh, why we do pretty much all the stuff we do. Uh, so soil science is a huge topic. Uh, it's actually a topic you can get doctorates and other advanced degrees in. So it's something I can't really do a whole lot about in a single podcast episode. Uh, but I'm going to go over some of the basics. And in later episodes, I may go over a little bit more. Um, I am far from an expert. I have an associate's degree, so make of that what you will. Uh, but I do find the topic kind of fascinating. So first thing, uh, the soil in your potted plants is not soil. It's potting mix. Uh, most other forms of artificial plant mediums are potting mix. Uh, what the, the broader category that both soil, potting mixes, and other similar materials fall into is uh, plant growth mediums, which is a big fancy word that just means whatever plants grow in. A uh, plant growth medium has to supply or be supplied with uh, several things. It has to have some sort of structure that plants can use to support themselves. Um, in hydroponic systems, this is sometimes provided by a coarse medium in the pots with them that does that's basically inert, um, but sometimes it's physically provided externally, like the way they stake up tomatoes, that sort of thing. In which case, the medium itself isn't providing support, so water doesn't technically count as a growth medium, even though it kind of is. <laughs> it's complicated, but essentially, growth mediums are, they provide support for the plant, they provide nutrition to the plant, or a way for the plant to acquire its nutrition, or they are supplied with nutrition. Um, it also supplies the trace nutrients, the things plants don't need a whole lot of, and it is a source of water for the plant. Um, there are a bunch of other little lesser things you can get into to kind of define a growth medium, but those are the biggies. Uh, soil is the stuff under your feet. Soil is naturally occurring. Uh, the, the main def defining traits of soil is that it has layers that have developed over time. Uh, most soil, even if you like put down whatever you know material, even if you made, say, a massive pile of potting mix and you gave it a few years, when you came back, you would notice stratification. You'd notice that the fines kind of sink to the bottoms, the coarser material kind of stays up top, denser materials work their way down. It would eventually take on a layered appearance. Um, and you even see this kind of thing after, say, a flood with hydrological sorting. So you do see layers forming that way as well. They're very distinct, though. That's how like, they can look through the archaeological record and go, well, there was a flood here because of the way the layers are laid down. They're a little different, but they still will eventually sort things. And soil naturally sorts itself into layers. And they call these layers horizons. So if you dig, say, six feet down, and you look at the side of it, you'll see an A horizon, a B horizon, and a C horizon. Um, there are some additional ones in there, but those are the biggies. The A horizon is just under any organic matter that may be over the surface of the soil. Remember, we talked about mulch in the last episode. Uh, mulch counts as a, a zero horizon or layer zero. 
Uh, the A horizon is everything below that. It tends to have sometimes more organic matter. It actually doesn't have a lot of the nutrients, though, because a lot of those leach down after a little while. The B horizon is where a lot of the nutrients end up. Uh, and then the C horizon is usually coarser material, and it's usually a transition zone, a very long transition zone that eventually transitions to the bedrock or whatever material is below. So all soil is primarily formed out of rocks. Uh, rocks break down in a variety of ways, wind erosion, water erosion, uh, geological movement. There's some lovely little hummingbirds. I don't know if you could hear them having a dog fight right in front of me. How, how do people in Europe and Africa deal without having hummingbirds? They're just, it's just so much fun to watch the little guys go nuts. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm sure they have their own birds that are awesome. <laughs> so anyway, they have the true vultures, which are kind of cool birds. But anyway, uh, back to soil horizons. So the sea horizon is that transitional zone. It's got a lot more rocky material. Um, where I am now... I am on top of a granite outcropping. So below our soil is granite rock. Uh, above that is granite sand, which is worn down. And above that, you get the B horizon, which has little more nutrients and organic matter and some other materials, but is still, at its heart, really finely crushed granite. And above that, you have even more finely crushed granite. And then above that, you have all of our, all of our grass and our plants and everything else. Um, now... Because everything comes from rocks, a lot of the traits of different soils do come from the traits of the rocks they're made from. But a slightly more complex part of that is that those rocks weather differently, they break down differently, they sort differently. And so you get, um, you, you get gravel, rocks, bigger things, but the parts we're worried about with soil are sand, silt, and clay. Clay are the smallest particles of rock. Silt are the intermediate ones, and sand is sand. We're all familiar with sand. It's the same thing. Now you may be noticing I'm not using a ton of Latin and that's because by and large the modern science of soil science developed in the United States and in countries working with American researchers. Um, so even though there were a lot of innovations in soil science made in um, some of the islands, Southeast Asia, places like that, these were at research facilities that had strong ties to the Americas. So they are still tied to the U.S., which means they still used English words for a lot of their things. So you don't tend to see a lot of Latin or even too many foreign words in soil science, which is really good if you're an American and probably horrible if you're not. But I'm an American, so yay for me. Um, so the words I'm going to use are pretty plain English words that most of us will be familiar with. Anyway, those three parts of soil, sand, silt, and clay, they define the texture of your soil. They, they tell you if it's going to be a loam, which I'm sure you've heard a lot of garden shows call this a loam or that a loam. A loam is just sort of the middle, right? It's that perfect middle where you have roughly even amounts of sand, silt, and clay. Um, and it's the best stuff for plants because it gives them enough texture, like enough stability to hold on to, but there's enough smaller particles to hold different nutrients and everything else in. That's why every garden show you've ever heard will say, oh, look at this gorgeous loamy soil as they sort of fondle it on screen. Um, that's why. That's what loam is. So if you have sandy soil, it's going to be more textured like sand. If you have silt soil, it's kind of going to have a, it's going to make really kind of slimy mud, I guess is the best way I can call it. Uh, when it's wet and when it's dry, it's the stuff that just sort of will almost blow away on you. Um, and then clay is the soil we all complain about. Even though clay is actually 
one of the most important components of your soil because clay is what holds your nutrients and clay holds most of the water. It is your water retaining capacity. In potting mixes, we use things like peat or uh, cocoa core or other uh, materials that can hold onto water as a replacement for clay. But clay is really good at its job. And you can actually tell the fertility of soils based on how good their clay is. Um, in the American South and in other tropical areas, when they, you see on a lot of documentaries how they'll tell you that those soils are actually not that nutrient dense, that it's all the material falling down on them that keeps the, the plants and stuff in those areas going. It's, it's the climate and essentially the constant thick layering of mulch that makes the tropics seem so fertile and rich. Their soils are not. Their soils are awful. Um, and it's because in those hot, humid conditions, the clay breaks down. So the clay in the American South is broken down and worthless compared to the clay in the Midwest. Um, the difference is the South has a great climate for all plants. The Midwest is really just about good for corn. So we grow a lot of corn in the Midwest. We grow everything else in the tropics and we dump tons and tons of fertilizer into both because corn is hungry and eats all that it can in the Midwest, um, including what's in the soil, but in addition, but then in the South, we have to bring in a lot of fertilizer because everything needs it there, right? So that's why we fertilize. Um, now, you probably heard that plants make their own food, so you've probably wondered at least once or twice, unless you happen to already know quite a bit about plants, why they need fertilizing at all. Plants don't make all parts of their own food. That's a misnomer. Um, when people talk about food like that, when they talk about it in a scientific sense, they're often talking about carbohydrates, the energy in food. Plants make their own carbohydrates. Plants are the source of carbohydrates for most food webs. There are a few exceptions in the deep sea and other places, but for the most part, plants make carbohydrates and everything else eats those carbohydrates to live. We use them as our energy source. So plants are our main source of energy, and that's why they're always talking about how, you know, fruits and vegetables in our diet are really good high energy foods because we're getting it right from the source instead of eating an animal that ate all those different sources that's amalgamated it but also used quite a bit of it for its own functions with plants you get the energy from the source um, but that's all plants make through photosynthesis they don't make all the other chemicals they need they don't make all the other materials they need so they have to get those from the soil um, now, when you talk about plants as food, we often talk about vitamins and minerals. Uh, both those also come into our food web, primarily originating in plants. There are a few vitamins that are made in animals and in bacteria, uh, but a lot of them do come from plants. So what happens is a vitamin is made, right? Vitamins are made by plants and animals as part of our biological functions. And predators, uh, whether they be carnivores or in this context, even herbivores, things that eat plants, you know, predators of plants... Uh, they get them from things further down the food web, whatever they don't make themselves. But minerals are literally just that. Plants pull them right up out of the ground. And they have to be bioavailable, which means the plants have to actually be able to pull up a source of, say, uh, mag uh, manganese. Let's go with manganese. Magnesium would be one they need more of, but manganese is funner to say. We'll say manganese. So they need to pull up a source of manganese that's already in a shape they can actually use it, right? It's already linked to all the necessary stuff. Um, and so a lot of plants release chelating agents around the roots. The root zone or rhizosphere of a plant is a very different place than the rest of the soil. It's usually got better structured soils. If you ever, you know, had to pull up your crops at the end of the year and you notice that the soil right where your plants were planted has amazing texture. It's just all soft and fluffy and nice. It's because the plants have been dumping chemicals to adjust 
all the traits of that soil for as long as it's been there. And the plants also work with um, fungi. So some plants release what are called chelating agents, or agents that basically attach to different compounds, especially metals, and put those into a state that the plant can actually take them up and use them. And then there's also algae that do the same thing. Some for their own uses, some in symbiosis with plants. They give the plants uh, nutrients in the form they can use them and help them take in water. And the plants make uh, different proteins and vitamins and sugars that they share with the with the, the fungus. So it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship in those cases. Or mutual parasitism, depending upon how cynical you want to be. But yeah, so the rhizosphere is very different. It includes symbiotic fungi. It includes all these other things. In the case of beans and legumes, it includes nitrogen-fixing bacteria. Nitrogen in soil naturally is pretty rare. Um, it's usually not found that much in soil, and when it is, it's found in forms that are not readily available to plants. But algae and nitrogen-fixing bacteria and a handful of plants that can actually fix their own nitrogen, there are a couple, uh, they all can turn that nitrogen to something they can use. There's also tons of nitrogen in the air. That's kind of a big paradox with growing plants is we need nitrogen more than anything else. Nitrogen is the limiting nutrient for most plants, and yet they can't suck it out of the air. Even though our air is mostly nitrogen, you actually breathe more nitrogen than oxygen regularly. Um, they need to pull it out of the ground, and they can only do that with the help of usually symbiotic bacteria or naturally occurring bacteria or other things that help fix the nitrogen into a form where they can actually use it. So we talk about nitrogen-fixing bacteria. That's why a recent discovery of nitrogen-fixing bacteria in a gel produced on the aerial roots of a corn plant is such a huge deal. Because like I said, the Midwest, great soil, but even with the best soil in the world, it doesn't have enough nitrogen for the nitrogen-hungry strains of corn we grow. Now we have this variety of corn coming out of Mexico that they're trying to breed back into them because it has the ability to fix its own nitrogen and it would save trillions of dollars. Um, there's a lot of sort of ethno-botanical issues and legal issues and everything else uh, to do with exploiting the resources of the indigenous people there. Um, that's another episode, though. That is a very long episode because ethnobotany and especially the legal ramifications of plant discovery, that sort of thing, is huge and probably outside of my wheelhouse. I might have to call in a legal expert. Um, I know a legal expert, but I don't think she's a legal expert in any of that stuff, although she has no riparian rights, which is water rights, so maybe I'll reach out to her. Anyway, enough aside there. So... That's the big stuff with plants, uh, with soil specifically. Your soil occurs in layers. Soil has to be layers. Uh, potting mix is a mixture of different things you put together for a pot. It's completely different. Soil is alive. It's full of bacteria. It has the rhizosphere of plants. It has animals, small microbes, worms, everything else. Uh, soil is amazing stuff. I could do many, many more episodes, and I might. We fertilize soil because our plants don't always have as much as they need in there, or it may not be in the form they need it, or plants planted there previously may have taken it all out. Um, and yeah, that's that's a good... I'm hoping this has been a good primer on soil science. I am, again, by no means an expert. I do know enough that I could actually do some more episodes on this, and I might. Um, so there may be a soil science part de in the future. Um, until then, though, you can see everything I'm doing over at tjsgarden.com. Uh, I've been TJ. Have a great day, guys. Bye.